This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Amen. I'm just like King David. He said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And I am glad to be in the house of the Lord with the people of God, reading the word of God, singing songs about God to Jesus. Amen. It's a great day to be alive. Well, uh, this week, you can go ahead and put the, the up there, Joel. Uh, we're going to be on part two of our new series for 2021 called Like Stone. Well, what does that mean? Well, what we're talking about is it is going to take a full-out bulldog determination in 2021 and beyond to stick close to Jesus and not let anything get you off track. It's going to take uh, a tenacity, uh, a ferociousness, a, an all-out undying loyalty to Jesus to stick close to him. And I know this much that when we stick with him, he brings us protection. He brings us through it. He brings us through anything and everything that comes along the way. But the theme verse for 2021 is this. Uh, go ahead and turn over there to Isaiah 50 and verse 7. Isaiah 50 and verse 7. Amen. Now, every year we kind of have a, a, a theme verse that's specifically for our church uh, for that year. Now, I, I also have a personal verse for my own individual life that I seek God for every year. And I may not know at the beginning of January why God gave me that verse, but somewhere along the way, I find out why. And sometimes as you walk with Jesus, the more you grow in your uh, faith and in your uh, relationship with God, you'll learn that sometimes God's telling you something right now and you don't know what it's for. It doesn't make any sense, but you just need to learn to trust and obey because you'll find out later on. And when you find out later on, if you obeyed in the beginning, you're like, oh, thank God I listened. But if you ignored it and you disobeyed it later on, you're like, I should have listened. Is there anything like that in your life where you're like, man, I wish I would have listened when they said that back then. Man, I wish I would have paid attention in school when they told me I should learn this stuff. Man, I wish I would have I would have just obeyed back then because now I wouldn't be dealing with this. Well, you got to understand that Jesus always provides a way out. You know, there was a flood that came to the earth, but God provided a way out. On that ark, right? I mean, people could have got on it if they wanted to, and just people decided not to. Uh, what, there's just always a way that Jesus makes for us to take, and we find out sooner or later why that is. But the verse for this year is Isaiah 50 and verse 7 in the NLT. It says, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a stone determined to do his will. And I know that I will not be put to shame. Now, listen, whenever we are determined to do God's will, whenever we are determined to stick with him, you will not be put to shame. Now, last week, we kind of looked at the very first sentence of this verse where it says, because the sovereign Lord helps me. But this week, I'm going to kind of break down the second part where it says, I will not be disgraced. Who in here you're saying, I'm not going to be disgraced. 
I'm sticking with Jesus and I will not regret it. No regrets. No way. I am sticking with Jesus. And so this, this, uh, this disgrace word, okay, it's this Hebrew word, kalam, and it means to shame, humiliate, be put to confusion, and the devil is not gonna shame me, humiliate me, throw confusion on me. I am following Jesus 100% of the way. And so, two things. I'm going to be pretty brief this morning. We've already had a great service so far. It's already been a home run banger of a service, but I'm telling you right now, we're going to get into some word here. So the first thing I want to say is this. Number one, if you're taking notes here, number one, I will not be disgraced. Number one, no shame. Number one, no shame. Can you say that with me? No shame. One thing that the modern, secular, antichrist world wants to do is to make you feel ashamed for what you believe. You can agree with me or not. It doesn't make, it doesn't make any difference. I don't mind waiting until we get to heaven for Jesus to tell you how right I was. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But listen to me. Listen to me. They want to make you feel stupid for believing that God created the heavens and the earth. They want to make you feel stupid for believing that Jesus is a healer today. They want to make you feel stupid about that. They want to make you feel like a freak for not being paralyzed with fear right now. They want to make you feel stupid and ashamed and thumbed down and like you're just some crazy, out-of-this-world insano. They want to make you feel shamed already. But i got to agree with what the Apostle Paul said. Look with me at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Now, some of you know where I'm going. Others, you'll catch on in a minute. But Romans chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 16. But I'm not, no shame here. Listen, no shame. No shame. Jesus wasn't ashamed of me. I'm not going to be ashamed of him. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. But in the day and the age in which we live, it is going to take Christians with some guts It's going to take Christians with some backbone, Christians that have a spine to stand up when they try to put you on the spot, to stand up when they try to make you feel stupid and ashamed and embarrassed about what you believe. But Romans chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 16, and this is what the Apostle Paul had to say about it. He said, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile, who is like the Apostle Paul. And you can say, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God to save everybody, the Jew first and the Gentile also. And this is the absolute truth. I love Paul's attitude on all this because Paul was not ashamed and I'm not ashamed. You can't embarrass me for believing what I believed. Why? I mean, so far it's worked out really well for me. Really was. Healed me of cancer. It's provided me with a beautiful, wonderful church to be with. It's healed my dad of cancer. It's, uh, it's given me a wife and four kids. When the doctor said I couldn't have kids, I got four now. I mean, seriously, this has worked out really, really well for me. Why? Because God just likes me? No, because I believe the Word of God is true and that it'll work for anybody that will work the Word of God. It says, it says, God is no respecter of persons. God has no favorites. The Word will work for anybody that will truly trust it and believe it in their heart and say it with their mouth and not give up when the devil starts to put the pressure on. The Word of God never 
fails. It never returns unto him void. But people will try to convince you otherwise while you're fighting the good fight of faith. I heard this story. There was a minister, a Boy Scout and a scientist. They were the only three passengers on this airplane. And there started to be some trouble with the engine. Maybe you've heard this story. So the pilot runs to the back and he's like, guys, bad news. This plane is going down. There's four of us on the plane and only three parachutes. So someone's the odd man out. But I'll tell you right now, I'm young. I'm married. I've got a, I've got a wife and three kids. They need me. Deuces. He puts the parachute on, jumps out of the plane. And so that leaves three guys, but two parachutes. The scientist quickly speaks up and says, whoa, whoa, guy, hey, listen, I'm the smartest man in the world. The world needs me. I'm out of here. He grabs the next one and jumps out. So the minister, being an older man, he, he starts talking. He's like, you know what, boy, son, I've lived a long life. God's been good to me. I've lived a rich life. You're young. You've got your whole life ahead of you. I'm going to give you the final parachute. You take it and go. And he's like, Relax, Reverend. The smartest man in the world just grabbed my backpack and jumped out of this plane. There's two. There's we be, we each get one right now. Let's go. And so what I'm telling you is sometimes people think you're crazy there. And, and again, in the day and age in which we live, there's the high and mighty. There's the, the geniuses of our time. And I found out that the experts, they don't know very much. But God's word has all the answers and it's been right the whole time. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, let's look here at what the Apostle Paul had to say here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I can identify and I can relate to this portion of Scripture so much because I believe it's like where we're at now. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 18 through 29. Can somebody say amen? Now, usually I don't read this many verses all at once, but you've got to get the full picture here, all right? You've got to get the full picture, so... First Corinthians chapter one, we're going to look at verses 18 through 29. And Paul is talking about all the brilliant geniuses and intellectuals that think you're stupid for believing in Jesus, that think you're stupid for believing in a God that you can't see. The people that want to thumb you down and embarrass you and shame you. They were they were around back then, just like they are today. But listen, Jesus always has the last word. And so look at this. First Corinthians one. Verse 18, it says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. Is there anybody in here that you know it's the very power of God? I mean, I'm not playing around. I'm not ashamed of this stuff. Verse 19, as the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers? The scholars and the world's brilliant debaters. Where does it leave them? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. And I have seen that play out in real time over the last couple of years where the people that had all the answers, all of a sudden, their answers were wrong. Their answers were wrong. Verse 21, since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. You can't know God through your mind and through your brain. That's not how you figure him out because he can't be figured out. Look at this. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It's foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. And it's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those 
called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, here I love this is what I'm getting to right here. Verse 27. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Man, I love everything that I just read right there. But get this, God will use the very things that the intelligent that the high and mighty people of this world used to make fun of us, he's going to use those things to shame them in the end. Listen, people had a good time laughing at Noah. It was funny. This crazy man building a giant boat for all these years, that's never even rained before. But you got to realize, you read the book of Genesis The earth got watered because God caused the water, the dew, to just come up out of the ground everywhere. And it it had never, water had never fallen from the sky up until this point in time. Noah says, I know y'all think I'm crazy, but listen, there's going to come a point. God told me, he already told me, water's going to fall from the sky. And it's going to come up out of the ground. And they're like, oh my gosh, really? They ridiculed, they made fun of, they mocked, they tried to shame him. And it was that boat was a real joke until the rain came. But that boat wasn't so silly anymore. Everybody wanted to be on that boat, right? People are they're going to laugh at you. I will tell you right now, you have my word that if you will stand up for Jesus this year and beyond, you will be made fun of. You will be persecuted. Well, don't confess that, Pastor. That's a bad thing to say. I'm just being real. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The only way that you get out of this thing without getting made fun of and mocked and receiving persecution is if you are not living godly in Christ Jesus. They're going to go to to make fun of the Christians. Uh, uh, He's not one anyway. He just talks about it, but he's a faker. Oh, but this guy over here, he really believes this stuff. If you have guts, if you've got spine, if you are a man or a woman of God at all, you will receive a little backlash in the coming day and age. It's going to happen. I'm not, you know, I'm not prophesying. I'm not, I'm just speaking the word of God. Now we have promises of protection all day long. God will, he'll protect my health. He'll protect my family, all that stuff. But I am not promised that I will never receive any persecution. On the contrary, I am promised that if I live godly and actually live like a real Christian, that I will receive persecution. So David was a big joke. They made this 17 year old kid was out there going to face everybody thought he was a fool until that giant fell. Then they all wanted to be on his side. Right. You've heard the old story of, you know, I'm going to tell it again. The the old story, maybe you heard it as a kid that this this chicken, she's like, hey, I'm going to bake me. I'm going to bake me a cake. Right. 
And so she says, you know what? Who wants to help me go gather the ingredients? And everyone says, no, 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 no. So she's like, okay. I'll, she goes and gathers all the ingredients. Who wants to help me bake the cake? No, no, we don't want to help out with that. But then who wants to help me eat the cake? And then everybody's like, oh, yeah, I want some of that. I'm, I want, and, and she's no, you're not getting any of this. You didn't want to help work for it. You didn't want to help bake it. You don't get any of it. But listen, people may think you're crazy right now. You're man, you're still going to church right now. You're still tithing. You're still doing this. You still believe God actually is going to protect you. And they think it's funny, but it's not so funny when you're still standing when it all goes down. You're going to want to. Hey, listen, you're going to want to be in this boat when things go down. You're going to want to be on our team. We're not going to be so crazy in the end. Just something to think about. They thought Jesus was defeated until three days later when he rose up out of that grave. Then it, then it wasn't so funny anymore. He wasn't defeated anymore. You have got to realize that when you stand up for Jesus, no shame in my game. No shame. I am not going to regret this, that I am going to follow Jesus no matter who thinks it's a good idea or not. No matter, well, there's more money over here. I don't know. Whatever. There, there's more prestige. People are not. I don't even care. I am planted right here doing the will of God and I will not be disgraced. My face is set as stone determined to do his will. And I ain't moving, folks. I am planted where Jesus has called me to be. And I know this much. God will. He wins in the end. And the things that they think are going to trap us are going to trap them. I was looking at, you know, I I mean, I'm 35, but I do watch cartoons sometimes. So yesterday I was on YouTube. You know, thank you, Jose. And I was like, you know what? Good old Wiley Coyote. Who remembers Wiley Coyote from back in the day? All right, dude had the best, the, the, he had the absolute worst luck in the history of the world. And he always thought he was going to catch this roadrunner, right? And I'm watch, I watched the top ten Wiley Coyote moments, but every time he set a trap for the other guy, but the trap ended up smashing him. I was looking at this one, he had this great big boulder attached to a rock, and he swings it off the cliff, and it goes, and the roadrunner's there, it misses him by this much, but it swings back up and smashes the coyote to pieces. And I'm like, isn't that just like what's going to happen to the devil? Isn't that what's going to happen to these evil people? They're they're rolling the boulder. They're setting up all these traps thinking it's going to get us, but it's just going to come back on the devil and shame him forever thinking that he could get the people of God. That's good news today. Amen. Who's going to be a roadrunner with me? I never knew what those were until I moved to the desert, but now I have seen them and they are real. So, number one, no shame. Say it with me. No shame. Number two, no regrets. No regrets. I am not going to end this life saying, man, I, I regret doing that. I, I wish that I had, I wish that I had just, uh, uh, maybe I had done that. I don't want to get to heaven or be at the end of my life and say, I wish I would have. Boy, I wish I could go back. Or I regret that I didn't. I refuse to end this thing with any regrets. Who's with me? And the good thing is, is that God is such a good God, such a loving God, that he gives us chance after chance after chance to serve him, to do the right thing, gives us open doors, gives us all these different opportunities to be used by him and to obey him and to get a second chance because some of us needed a second chance. So I heard this story that Brother Hagan had told, and I'd never heard it till the other day, but... 
apparently back in the 1880s, there was a governor of the state of Ohio named uh, Governor George Nash. He was the governor in the 1880s, and, and there was a young man that had committed a crime, and he received a, not only a life sentence, but he, he, he was going to be executed. And so people are like, oh, man, he was just a young man. You know, he's, he's only 18. Let him go. And, and people are petitioning, and, and he's like, I don't know. That, that, then finally, the, the young man's mom finally gets an appointment with the governor, and she's like, listen, I'm not even asking you. He says that he did it. I'm not even asking you to, to, to let him go free. I'm just asking if you could reduce his sentence or, or somehow work out some mercy, give him a second chance. And the governor says, you know what? I'm feeling good. I, I, I'll, I will meet with the young man. And the mom says, oh, thank you. My, uh, my prayers have been answered. So he goes to meet with the young man, but instead of showing up in his normal, normal suit and tie and all that stuff, he shows up dressed like a preacher. Now, back then, preachers wore, you know, a certain hat, and uh, and they, they wore their, their, their the collar. And I've been thinking about doing that. You guys, show of hands. Who thinks I should do that? No? Okay. All right. One hand. One hand. I've got one vote for yes. The rest say no. Okay. So, anyway. So, he shows up to the prison, and the guard is leading him down to this young man's cell, and, and the kid looks up and says, oh, God, a preacher? Get out of here. I don't, I don't want to hear it. And, and the, and, and the governor, the kid doesn't know this is the governor. I mean, this is before TV and before you know what people actually look like. And so he, he's like, no, now listen, young man, I, I believe I can help you. Get out of here. I don't want to hear it. Listen, son, your mom asked me to come and talk to you. Beat it. I don't want to hear it. Son, listen, I can help you if you only knew who I am. Get out of here. And so the governor's like, all right, fine. Have a nice day. He leaves. The prison guard comes back down the hallway and he's like, well, son, what did Governor Nash have to say? What, what, what did he want with you? The kid says, what? Oh, what? That was the governor? That was the, oh, God, no, no, no. He wanted to help me, but I wouldn't let him. He wanted to help me, but I said no. I wouldn't even listen. And the kid, that's all he could say on repeat. For the next several days, then finally the day of his penalty came, and his last recorded words were, he wanted to help me, but I wouldn't let him. Think about the level of regret at that point in time. Think about how many people right now, God is trying to move in their life, but they don't recognize it, and they're saying, no, I don't need that. Get it out of here. No, I don't want to listen to that. You church people, you high desert people, you're crazy. Get out. I don't want want to hear that mess. And in the end... I hate to say this. There will be regret because people are going to say, they wanted to help me, but I wouldn't listen. He wanted to help me, but I wouldn't listen. I've determined right now, my face is set like a stinking stone, determined to do the will of God. I refuse to die with any regrets. I refuse to have Jesus come back down and me say, oh, why? You tried to talk to me. You tried to get my attention, but I wouldn't listen. Who can say this with me? No regrets. I'm not leaving this rock with no regrets. Let's look this morning at 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through eight. Now this is written, uh, this is the last book, the last letter that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. And so we're talking about a man that has lived a very good, full life. 
Now, obviously, he faced troubles. He faced problems, but he stuck with Jesus. These words that I'm about to read to you are some of the very last things that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. I guess you could say some of his last words. But look at this. Second Timothy chapter four. And we're going to look at verses six through eight. And here's what Paul had to say. And I'm tagging on to this, man. This is going to be me. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. He's like, people are like, well, we're going to kill him. You can't kill me. I'm giving my life away. It's an offering. Take this as my offering. How do you like that, devil? You're not stealing Paul's life. He gave it away. And that's just what Jesus said. He's like, I'm laying my life down. No one's, no one's taking my life. I'm giving it away. You can't take from me if I'm giving it to you. So he said, the time of my death is near. He knew it. This is the end. But look at this. Verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and the most beautiful words ever written. And I have remained faithful. I know through all the bad times, through all the good times, through all the times, period, I stuck with it. I never turned my back on you, Jesus. And if I, you know, if if my time comes, I, I don't care if I can say I died a billionaire. I died a millionaire. I died the richest man in Barstow. I died having five. Who stinking cares if I can't die and say I remained faithful? That's what Paul was able to say. Look at this. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Paul fought the good fight. He finished the race. He remained faithful and someone could say well yeah but the romans finally got him they finally executed him looks like he lost to me he didn't lose no regrets no regrets in any of that he remained faithful and god used obviously his writings and his works to still change the world two thousand years later what a man of god i want to be like that i don't want to be like these high and mighty intelligent people that are trying to absolutely rip Christians through the dirt and the mud right now. Listen, guys, I ain't playing around. It's getting real out there. And I'm not going into that junk. But listen right now. It's getting real. You will find out real quick, real soon, who just talks about God and who actually believes what they're talking about. The line is going to be more distinct than it has ever been before about who's just talking and who's doing, like James 1.22 said. But... It is getting down to the wire, and I just, I mean, I don't know what all to say except this, is that you better cling to Jesus instead of your money. You better cling to Jesus instead of your politician. You better cling to Jesus instead of anything else, because all those things can go away just like that. But Jesus can't go away, because he already said in his word, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. This is the day. This is the hour to stick to Jesus like you've never stuck before. You know, I'm reminded of the old story. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 60. That'll be my final spot today. Isaiah chapter 60. We're looking at verses 1 through 2. But but there's this old story, an old book called A Tale of Two Cities. You had to read that in your high school literature class, anybody? 
Can't remember that far back, a little bit older. Okay, that's good. But listen, uh, there's this old book called A Tale of Two Cities, written by Charles Dickens. And the opening lines of the whole thing, he says, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. And as he's describing, you know, what the times were like right then, there's two totally different outlooks on things. For some people, it was the worst of times. It was the season of darkness. It was the winter of despair. Yet for other people living at the exact same time period in this book, it was the best of times. It was the season of light. It was the spring of hope. And I'm like, man, that just describes about what I see right now in our day and age. For some people, it's the worst of times. Yet for others, it's the best of times. For some people, it's the winter of despair. The dark winter is here. But for others, it's the spring of hope saying, oh, man, I've read about this. I've read about this and I know what happens next. And guess what? I get to go to heaven soon. Some people are full of hope right now. But I want to show you how Isaiah saw it in the end concerning the people of God, the people of Israel, the people of Jerusalem. And and hey, we're the children of Abraham, so this applies to us. But there is a distinction between the two. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will rise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. That's really, really good news right now for the people of God. Because no doubt about it, there is darkness. There is gloom that seems to be hovering over a whole lot of people. I can just sense it. I feel it. And the truth is that for the people of God, this could be your very best hour. This could be the moment that you've been waiting for. This could be the very time that you were born for, the time such as this. But you are going to have to start believing and trusting God like you never have before. You're going to have to take Isaiah chapter 50 verse 7 to heart and say, you know what? I don't care what they're saying. My face is set as a stone. I'm determined to do his will and I will not be put to shame. I will not be disgraced. I'm following Jesus no matter what. And I can tell you right now, this could be your brightest days. This could be the time that the glory of the Lord shines all about you and people come running out of the darkness and to the light that is all over your life, Jesus could use you to save hundreds, thousands of people right now if you will not let all this mess get on the inside of you. Listen, I'm in the world and I know what's going on, but I am not of this world. I'm down. I know what's going on. I'm aware. But guess what? I'm not of this world. I belong to another kingdom. And it's a whole lot higher than anything on this planet. And the day is coming soon. And so, like Paul, he said, hey, the time of my death is near. He knew his execution was on the calendar. And so, you know, in some ways, when you know it's coming, it's a little bit easier to really make sure you've got things right with God. Now, Paul already had. He wasn't trying scrambling. He was already there. But for us, all we know is, hey, he's coming soon. 
Some people will die before that because that's what happens. You're born and then you die someday, right? I mean, it's just, yeah, that's, it's the circle of life. That's what happens. So I believe though, and I don't just say this because I'm blowing smoke and I've got nothing better to do. I mean, I could be home right now eating my leftover Chinese from last night. It was delicious, but I'm here. Okay. Listen to me. I believe that there are a lot of people in this generation that we are the generation that is going to see Jesus come back. And people have been saying that, but I, I believe that. There are some people that will not experience physical death because they will just go up in the rapture. Now, the dead in Christ will rise first. They're going to beat us to heaven because Jesus is going to come. They're going to blow that trumpet so loud that your grandma is going to rise from the grave, right? Come on. It's going to be an exciting time. The dead in Christ will rise first. It's coming. But then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together in the clouds with the Lord in the air. And so shall we be together forever with the Lord. It's coming. But we don't know when. And so all I know is this. I can't afford to backslide right now. I can't afford to let go of God right now. Because what if that's the day and he comes and I'm like, oh, no, he tried to help me. He tried to talk to me, but I wouldn't listen. I just had to go do it my way. So Isaiah 50, verse 7, the two things I'm bringing out to you today is this. No shame and no regrets. If you are with me in this and you will say my face is set as stone and I'm not turning back for no thing or nobody, then I want you to give the Lord a shout of praise this morning and say this is our year. This is our moment. Let's go ahead and stand up together today. Amen. I'm not depressed about what's going on. I am looking to the sky knowing that any moment now, any day now, we're going to see Jesus. And I'm not scared. I'm, I mean, come on. I am ready for this. We were born for this moment. No shame. No regrets. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Let's stand up together if we could this morning, just out of out of honoring God, out of respect to Him. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.